Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. And uh, my guest today is one I'm looking forward to speaking to. So I will, but in a moment. I won't do it just yet. I spoke recently to Harry Manx, and some people know Harry and some people don't. I've always been a fan of Harry Manx. He really mixes East and West. Uh, give it a listen. I loved listening to him and his wisdom. And one of the things he really turned me on to was in the Hindu philosophy, there's a thing called Advaita Vedanta. And it is really about the opening up to a person to the idea of not being an ego, but being a consciousness. So one of the quickest ways that so far, I've, I've just purchased a book. A friend of mine literally is a Hindu philosophy teacher at University of Toronto. So I said, what do I read? What do I read? And she said, read this one. It's called Vendanta. And it's great because it's parables and stories. It's not just dense thinking, as it were. Um, but in this case, one of the gurus that uh, Harry actually uh, visits with in, in Portugal uh, had a YouTube that I watched and he explained it this way. I am Ralph. Well, wait a minute. What if we stop at I am? Because what is Ralph? Ralph is a construct that I've created that I try to sell to people as a passable version of a human being. One they might like, one they might even love, one they might be irritated by, but you know, Ralph doesn't drink rosé. Ralph drinks white wine. Ralph doesn't drink, you know, all these egoic pieces that we put into our lives. But what if you stop before the Ralph part, which is really, I could say, I'm not Ralph, I'm Raphael. That's my birth name. I'm, I'm not Canadian. I'm Moroccan. I'm Moroccan. I'm not Jewish. I'm, I'm uh, eclectic and ecumenical and leave it. What if you just stopped at I am, which is an interesting thing because in the Jewish religion, when Moses is trying to figure out who just passed here, what, what, what are you? And the answer was, I am that I am. That was it. Not I am God. It was I am that I am. So this guru was talking about this notion that I am if we internalize that and meditate on that, we can start to begin to understand ourselves as a consciousness that is eternal, that there was no thing that made us and thing that we're going to, that we're in the flow, which aligns with the way I think of things because I, I've spoken of this before, but uh, in, in, in Judaism, it's called the Shefa, the flow. And you, we're just sort of this molecular piece that floats into that continuum and floats out. And our choice is, really, do we want to be a healthy molecular piece or do we want to be a cancerous molecular piece? And every day, that's the decision you have to make. And every day we fail and sometimes we succeed. But that's even that can start to get one into this idea of the ego, of who am I? And talking to a performer, in Harry's case, talking to somebody who has to get up in front of a whole bunch of people and want them to really love him, not just sort of go, eh, that was okay, I guess, but really reach into them to try to get there. How do you do that if you don't come from your ego? That is tricky. How do, you, how do I perform the idea that I'm talking to you now and make sure that I, in my way, I'm hoping you won't think, oh, what a... This guy's awful, click. 
right? That's my ego, hoping that you don't think I'm awful. But what if I'm at peace? And one of the things that Harry uh, Manx really struck me with was when I asked him how he's doing in a profound kind of way, he just said, I'm at peace. And not a lot of people get to say I'm at peace because every day we get swept up into, I'm in a mood, I'm in a good mood, I'm in a bad mood. This person said this, I don't think that. I'm worried about what's gonna happen. I'm really upset about what happened last week. And we just get lost in this constant monkey mind business of ours. And the consciousness piece, if we can return to it, and every once in a while now I'm walking, walking with my dog and I'm not being Ralph. I'm just trying to be I am, and it's, it is an effort. But it, it's one that I'm going to explore more deeply. And it's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is that I talk to people and then afterwards I'm like, even if it's like, I, I talked to uh, Mary Darling, a producer who did uh, Little Mosque on the Prairie about being Baha'i. And then I reread an entire book of Baha'i, like three or four books of Baha'i in my library. I just went back and read the whole thing on one of them. And it's like, right, what lovely things are in here. If you have a, a, a boy child and a girl child, it is incumbent on you to educate the girl child because she is the one who will be the closest to her child. She must be educated. And this was 1901, okay? This wasn't last week because it was the right thing to say. This was 1901. So there's beautiful things everywhere. Little petals of the lotus are everywhere. So that's my 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 thought going into today. I'm going to be talking to my friend in, in a moment. Uh, I will say that I've been thinking about her a lot. Uh, I, I filled in for her for five or six, you know, five weeks while she was in Newfoundland. And uh, she was in family, in life, in the, the real thing. Not the, gee, I wonder how I'm doing, but in the real thing. Uh, and I wanted to talk to her about that journey because uh, every day when I sat in the chair that's hers at, at the radio station, Jazz FM 91, uh, I thought of her and we've been friends for a long time. And I just kept thinking, try to do this as best you can to honor the fact that she does this really well. And it's been a wonderful uh, experience. So my, my, my guest today is Heather Bambrick jazz singer, jazz educator, radio broadcaster, and wonderful human being. Heather Bambrick, hi. Ralph Ben Mergie, hello. Wow, that was beautiful. Yeah. I, I love, just for the record, I love the, uh, I don't know, you're, you're, you're beginning to all of these things because you make me think in a different way. And, uh, and, and actually, I was listening to one recently. Oh, uh, Aaron Davis. When oh, Aaron yeah. Davis. Oh, lovely. And... Uh, the when you when you did the the Coles notes version of Shiva, <clears throat> of sitting Shiva and what it means in the process and and yeah I you know because growing up in Newfoundland, we had what five Jewish families and three of them lived on our street, so uh, <laughs> you know the Lipkisses and the Smilesteins and the Silvers we were covered. So I, I didn't have a lot of of experience with it, and it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful tradition, and. Uh, and I loved what you were talking about in terms of the levels, you know, because mm. of the whole protect, I guess, protection, honor, and, and as the practical side of it, knowing who was, you know, who was the family that had been at loss. So anyway, all that to say, I love this and, and, uh, and thank you for, for that beautiful introduction. It's my pleasure. You know, um, my wife uh, sometimes officiates at, at 
weddings and funerals. And a friend of ours, her father uh, passed away and she was officiating and she extracted a lovely line when she said, the price of love is grief. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that a bit, because your father has just passed away. Yeah, like month, a little more than a month ago. Coming yeah. up, actually coming up on two months. So, um, so talk well, about yeah. that a bit. Huge price. One that I'm happy to pay, because I think the payoff is, you know, the, the, the scales tip. Well, right now they're pretty even, to be honest with you. <clears throat> I'm, I'm feeling as much grief as, as I felt love. Feel love. Um, but I do think that, uh, my, my dad was a huge dog lover. And, uh, when he, he grew up, he grew up in, in Mel Cashel in the orphanage in, in Newfoundland, which of course was wrought with scandal, um, and abuse. for so many. Yes. Uh, yes. But my dad loved it. I mean, he, not that part of it. He was there before a lot of this was happening. He, he was born in 1939 and he went to the orphanage in 1943, 1942, 43. So um, all that to say, you know, a lot of the the abuse that we knew that we learned about later hadn't happened when my, when my dad was there. Um, he, there was a dog that one of the brothers owned, a dog named Daxie. It was a little dashing. And Daxie used to follow my dad around because what had happened was after my dad got to the point where he could leave the orphanage, he had been playing saxophone and uh, the band leader at the time said, well, look, you need to own a saxophone. And of course he had no job and no money. So he said, how about if you stay here and help us out? So uh, you can do some assistance here at the orphanage, work full time, raise enough money so you can buy your first saxophone and then, and then get out. So that's what he used to do. So part of his job was to wake up little boys at one o'clock and get them all to the bathroom. So no one would pee in their beds. So he'd go (laughs) around and, you know, jerk all the, the bottoms of the beds and, you know, wake them up and then get them out and then bring them all hand in hand, bring them to the bathroom, set them up in front of the urinal <laughs> and go back to get the next one. <laughs> and then he would go to bed himself and try to get some sleep. And uh, this one dog followed him all the time. So anyway, the dog really became his dog. And then came that horrible day when the dog was unfortunately hit by a car and passed. And dad said the pain that he felt was so deep. He said, I, I don't know that I could go through that again. He said, and I know they bring you so much joy, but he said, I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. And then later when I got my dog, then he, he did this exactly the, this is a really long way of saying is the same thing, which is, he said, what you get from having that dog, it's almost makes the pain worthwhile. And what I, I mean, I am who I am because of dad. I mean, I'm, I'm the musicianship comes from him. Um, the, the, uh, the entertainment comes from him. Um, the weirdly realizing that you're an introvert comes from him. Um, the dimples come from him, like so much. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm so grateful, but I'm, I'm devastated at the same time, you know? So the, the grief and, and, and the love, yeah, the, the, the bill comes and you have to pay it and the scales are pretty well even, but, um, I think in the long run, the love scale will start to weigh a little heavier. And I'll realize that the grief eventually will start tipping up. And the lessons and the love and the life that have been in the grief, um, sitting on the grief scale, will far out, or sorry, the love scale will far outweigh the grief, I hope. 
Yeah, there's so much there, right? I mean, Dustin Hoffman said he wanted on his tombstone, I knew this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah. we all know it'll happen, but we don't want to know it'll happen. And we don't know often what to do when it does happen. It's so funny. We were there with my dad uh, the last few days of his life. I, I flew home to, uh, to Newfoundland, to St. John's. And of course, it's COVID time. So there were so many rules and regulations. My sister lives in Washington, D.C. At one point in time, the doctors basically said, if it were my dad, I'd want to be here. So I called my sister and I said, yeah, come home. She had to isolate, blah, blah, blah. In the end, when we knew the end was very near, they said, come on in. Newfoundland is very different in, in that respect. First of all, there were no active cases at the time. Um, secondly, and I've always said this, if I'm ever going to end up in the hospital, I want it to be in Newfoundland because I want a nurse when I'm feeling absolutely horribly to call me sweetheart and my ducky and my darling and show <laughs> that kind of stuff that, I've, you know, that I'm used to. That's the stuff I grew up with. So we were there with dad and you know, when he, and he, he, he held on, he held on, he held on, he held on. And I, there was that point where you were saying, you were trying to say, Dad, it's okay, you can go. And, and we did everything. We laughed and we cried and we sang and we talked to him. And we told him, we're okay, we'll be fine. But then there's that moment when the breathing changes. And all of a sudden you go, wait, no, never mind, we're not fine, we're not fine, we're not okay. <laughs> you know, you, you, you do that whole thing where one minute you're saying, we're good. And then the next minute, oh, God, we're not good. Because it's the moment of leaving. Yeah. It's, it's that ultimate final moment, that ultimate final reckoning, you know, when, when all the other stuff seems like a dress rehearsal. Yeah. You, you know, you prepared for the, it was, as we were there, I felt like I was in a movie. I felt like, okay, this is the part where we sing his favorite song. So right. now I'm going to break into Carrick Fergus and hope I don't cry. You know, you felt like you were acting out a script. Like you were removed from the reality a bit, like you're watching yourself there? Yeah, almost. It felt as if, you know, when you're putting together your, your Ikea furniture and you're following the directions? Yeah. I felt like I was following the directions of death, but the guy wasn't smiling with a screwdriver in his hand. In the, in the, so in did you have a roadmap drawing. for that? You know, because... That's one of the things I find most interesting about the dying process is some people have a, a religion, you know, a, a structure yeah. and, and other people are winging it and other people don't know what to do and don't really want to be there. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. so was there a, did you, what did you draw on to walk your father home as it were? It, it's funny. So I was raised Catholic. Um, I, I don't follow the Roman Catholic religion any longer uh, in terms of the doctrine, but I'm still, you know, I still, if I curse, I still get that sense of guilt. Yeah, so <laughs> I really do. And I do follow it up with my mommy's always, well, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, God, forgive me. And I do it too. Like if something freaks me out and I go, Jesus, God, forgive me. I, anyway. <laughs> so I was in, when, when dad, we weren't sure if he was going to get better or get worse. And uh, at the time, the nurses were very kind and they let me stay uh, longer. Usually they had a relegated period of time during which people get have visitors. They allowed me to stay as long as I wanted. Same thing with my mom. Um, so I was there with dad early one morning and I saw uh, black vestments go by the door. 
And I knew it was a religious figure. I assumed it was a priest. And my dad was still very religious. Um, still, he and mom went to church every week and all that. So mm. I, I figured he'd feel better. Uh, so I, I said, dad, I think, I think father just went by. Do you want me to get him? He's oh, yeah, go get him. Yes, go get him. So I went down and I waited until he came out of another room. And then I called out father. And then he came over and I said, you know, my dad is down in room such and such. Do you mind coming down and having a chat with him? And he said, well, I actually, he said, I'm a, I'm a, an Anglican minister, but he said, I'm happy to come down and speak with your father. So he came down and they had a lovely chat. And, you know, as Newfoundlanders do, I don't know that there was a prayer right away. First, it was like, now, where are you from? No, and, and, and what's, and, and oh, now you're from there. Now, do you know so-and-so? So there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew at that moment, like I knew when I saw the, the black outfit go by, I knew I had to go and get him for dad. And that would help. That would make dad feel better. That would put something in place. It's almost like going to see the lawyer when you know you have paperwork to do. He was like, he was like my, 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 <laughs> the, the moral or ethical lawyer that was going to help me through this process and dad as well. That's, I think that was the start of it. Um, we had a priest come in every day, uh, mainly because he wanted to come in and chat. And that's what, again, the Newfoundland thing. Um, and that, that's where we got our, our, our cues to be honest with you, because I remember when we got the, when he came in and he did the, the, the final prayers, you know, and he, and he, and he read dad and not, they weren't official rights, but you could tell very much so that, that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, we're starting to say goodbye now. That was when you almost get to the point where you prepare yourself. So from then it was probably more about what I felt was right. When he, it didn't feel like it was time for him to go yet, he was still with us, then we talked to him. And we laughed and we told stories. So I, I, we almost did have, have some sort of guide, but I don't know what that was. It just, it was more of a feeling. Did, that, then, you know, did that make you wish that you did or were you good with? You no, know? I, I was good with everything. Yeah, I was good, you know, because I don't know that there is a guide. I mean, I think it's just like grief is different for everyone. I think the dying process and the saying goodbye process is different for everyone. Um, so, but your father, yeah. if he was, uh, as you say, a religious man, did he, mm. um, was he in any way comforted by ideas of afterlife or was he comforted by God's plan or any of that? You know, Ralph, it's really funny because yeah, we went to church all the time, but we never talked about that. We never really talked about what was coming after. Um, we talked about really what you're supposed to do now. And a lot of that had to do with you're supposed to be a good person. You're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to say your prayers. You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be loving. Right. We didn't talk about what was going to happen afterwards. It was more, dad was very practical. So, you know, rather than I'll be okay, I'm going to the afterlife. It was more like, Joan, you're going to Toronto to live with Heather, right? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> he was planning mom's afterlife after his life. Um, I found myself um, looking for signs from him and, and hoping, you know, that, uh, hoping that there's some sense of energy in which he was existing, his soul was existing, that would allow him to kind of kind of drop a hand back into my world and say, hi, I'm here. I'm still here. 
but that was more me. I don't know. If, I don't think dad ever taught. He always talked about, you know, when you meet your maker because he's, it's old school, Newfoundland, Irish Catholic. Right. So it was about meeting your maker. And I think dad felt he lived a good life and he did live a good life. He was, he was very kind hearted. He was very generous. He was very, um, he was a good Christian. I mean, for a while he wanted to be a Christian brother, but then he also wanted to get married and have kids. So I think he felt like, yeah, when I meet my maker, I, I can look back and say, I, I lived all right. Made a few yeah. mistakes, but they weren't, they weren't big ones. But for you now, yeah. so it's a weak analogy, but when, when a person um, loses a pet mm. and the child says, hey, where do you go? You know, parents find themselves saying things they don't believe in and saying, mm. well, I went to heaven. W My father died. I'd never seen someone who was dead before. Mm. And I walked into the room a couple of hours after he had died in the middle of the night in the hospital. Mm. And he was sort of half warm, half cold. And mm. it was kind of a strange experience, but... I did feel that I knew at that moment that he wasn't there anymore, that whatever was my father in this body is that soul had gone. Mm -hmm. And that we are, you know, as many spiritual teachers will, will, will talk about, you know, Ramdas talks about this is just a spacesuit with, you know, Heather Bambrick on it or Ralph Benmergi on it. Um, it's a rental. But what, mm. it, what animates who you are, what, when you turn on that microphone, when you say hello, when you wake up, all those things doesn't stay here, it goes somewhere. Do you, did you get any of that from, from your father? That there's a, that his, something had left him when he died? That you can still have a relationship with? Uh, yes. My, yes, it's, but it's, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, but. but what? Yes, but I the the Newfoundland background is is very prominent for me because we're very we're practical, right? Like, yes, you can you can go and have a kitchen party and and finish off that bottle of rum if you wants to, but my Jesus, you're getting up for work tomorrow morning, right? And to me, there's this sense, particularly with my dad. Where it's like, yes, I can be Catholic, and yes, I can believe in the afterlife. Yes, I know there's heaven and God. I mean, like you know, when when you go, you go. Right. So there's, I remember thinking, and almost asking Dad, like, I know you don't believe in that stuff. I know you don't believe in coming back and having messages, and I know you think you're gone. Once you're gone, your soul goes somewhere else. We don't know where it is, but it's gone. Um. But just just come back. Uh. Why did and you I tell feel, him that? Oh, because I needed him. I still do. I, you know, I still need him to come back. I mean, it's still very fresh, clearly. Because um, he, he's that he's that anchor for our yeah. family. Yeah. Uh, and he was, I mean, he was the practical one. He was the steady one. Uh, my mom is, you know, my mom wears her heart on her sleeve all the time. My dad could hold it in and could be objective and all he's that the rock he's the rock totally but at the same time he was also that really soft guy you know who who would start watching videos of dogs and start crying 
you know, and that's, I get that from him too. So all that to say, um, I, I needed him, I needed him to come back, to come back, um, a little bit, a lot. (laughs) So, well, I think because of that, I held on, like, I, I remember when he was gone, my mom needed to get out of the room right away. Because as you look at the person, you know, as you know, I, as you were describing when you saw your dad and you, the feeling of half warm, half cold. I mean, I know that. And it's and you're looking at the person going, you're, you're not you. But at the same time, that's the last remnant of that person. Mm-hmm. That vessel is the last thing, the last tactile element of that person. And you need it to be that person. And even uh, I, 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 I needed to have that moment with him when he went. So. I think when I was leaving the room, that was when I was ready to say, okay, you're no longer there. It was almost that sense of closure. It's like, okay, I'm walking away from you and I'm ready. I didn't feel like I'm leaving dad in the room. You know, when you're leaving the hospital, I'm like, oh God, dad's still there. I knew he was gone. I felt he was gone. I felt, and this is the ego part of it. Once I was done with him, once I had my moment, then he was gone. As weird as that sounds. And I know it's very, it's, it's, here's well, the, no, you know. but then he was gone for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody, your mother, the moment she left the room, he was gone because she, she'd been dreading the moment. And, and she was there for the final goodbye. You know, dad waited until my sister and I left the room for five days. Neither my sister nor I would leave the room at the same time. Uh, we were, someone would leave with the phone and we'd, you know, if anything changes, if breathing changes, you call me and that kind of thing. The one moment we both left at the same time was when he died. And that's because of course, you know, he didn't want us uh, to be there for that part. It was just him and mom. So once mom had that moment, she was like, okay, I'm done. I got to get out of here because that's not him. Right. And I don't think I felt that the same way. Well, you know, there's another part of this sometimes. I mean, certainly in my own journey, I had a best friend uh, who at 43, we were best friends until university and then we did different lives. But, you know, he was my whole childhood really from grade three on. And he died at 43 of uh, throat cancer. Uh, And I was living in the house that he used to live in because his parents had died the year before, one after the other, six months apart. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, I said, well, why don't I buy the house and I'll fix it up? Because I basically grew up in that house, you know, leaving my overcrowded apartment to uh, go hang out in this little house. And uh, he died and my father died. Had a few people die in in my uh, 40s, cancer and things. But what I realized, especially with my father and with my friend Mike, um was that wasn't the end of the relationship. No. <clears throat> no. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, just a, it's a different form of the relationship yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in my spiritual directing uh, training, one of, the, one of the classes I had to take, one of the teachers said, you know, we were talking about Jewish mysticism, and they said, okay, well, Ralph, you're going to do uh, angels. And I was like, no... Don't pick me for that. I don't. That's silly. I, John Travolta smoking angels. I, he was Michael. Michael. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. She said, "No, you're going to do it." And she, we did a guided meditation together on the idea of a guardian angels. Mm. 
And from there, I started to realize I have guardian angels in my life. Do you know who they are? Yeah. Have you identified them? Yes, my father and Mike mm -hmm. uh, are my guardian angels. That they don't, you know, it's not an interventionist thing. It's a dialogue. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's me having certain moments in life and being able to go, I'm kind of thinking about what, not what would dad do, but I kind of need dad in the, in, in, the, in the room, in my heart right now. And that's how it appears for me. Because mm -hmm. if you actually study angels, it's not about human form at all. It's about energy and yeah. you know, f flows of energy that are supportive for, for people or can be destructive for people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when you think of, like, in the last two months, have you, mm. how does that manifest itself for you? And how do you think it will? I think of it, I mean, I guess my connection is, is lessons. I've known my dad's lessons my whole life, but there's more emphasis or weight on them now, if that makes sense. I think that's where I'm really feeling him is a lot of stepping back and genuine thought and, and weight given to the quote unquote right thing to do. According to, you know, according to my father. Um, it's funny when you, when you talk about, you know, that, that presence, you know, you remember Sandy Coit, yeah, who was on radio for years. Um, well, Sandy's daughter, Tracy is a wonderful actress. And um, many years ago we were chatting and she was talking about how her relationship with her dad changed when he passed. And she said, it didn't end, it changed. And she said, he was always my go-to guy. He was my, um, he was my advisor. He was in the business. So I would run ideas past him. I'd get his input. I'd get his thoughts and his, um, his opinions. And at one point in time, she said she was having it. She was struggling with a decision. And she said, I was sitting at the, you know, I was standing at the, um, at the sink and I was doing dishes and there was a light over the sink and I was talking to dad, openly talking to him. And I remember saying, dad, I, God, I wish you were here. I wish, I wish you could tell me if this is the right decision right now. And with that, the light started flashing. <laughs> So she went, okay, message received. And so she said, at that point, then I kept talking and I kept talking to him. And she said, I have, I continue to have visits. She and her, and her husband, Rob, she, Rob and I continue to have little visits with dad. And she said, at the time she was telling me the story because a mutual friend of ours had just lost a parent. And she said, I, I feel like I need to tell her that it's not, you're not losing your parent. You're not losing that relationship. It's just changing. Yeah. So I, I recently was the anniversary of her dad's death. And I recently, uh, right around when dad passed, I sent her a note and I said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm looking for those signs. I'm looking for that change in relationship. She said, just keep talking to him. Keep, uh, keep having those conversations. Just be open to different responses because you do, you now do the relationships change to the next stage, whatever the next stage is going to be for you. So you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I did get a message from him in a dream. It was a very, very clear thing. And it was very funny because um, in the dream, he was a parking lot attendant. <laughs> Playing dad saxophone. He, yeah, right? He liked order. And he yeah. always made lists. He never learned to sell. He still had a pencil and ruler. So I feel like he was, you know, drawing, the, he was keeping the line straight in the parking lot or whatever. <laughs> uh, or in his own way, telling people where to go. Um, so... 
I was crossing a street towards the parking lot and I remember in, in the dream, my dad looking and just kind of putting his hands together like a prayer and then touching his heart. And the message that I got so clearly was I'm okay. And Ralph, I, I, it wasn't one of those weird things. Like why I got this message. It was just, I did, I got a message. Yeah. It was very, very clear. There was no mistaking what he was trying to tell me. Then this was probably within the first month. So I kind of knew then I thought, okay, he's wherever he is, he's okay. So, so does that change? Does going through, is going through this changing things for you, the way you yeah, see life? For sure. How? Um, not in the way you would think. <laughs> um, usually you'd say, you know, uh, when you were talking about when your dad had passed, uh, and, and you realized, you know, life, it's, it's not, a, it's not a dress rehearsal and, you know, don't put things off. Don't wait to live your life. Uh, I'm doing this now in a, in a particularly strange time because we do have to wait to live our lives to a certain extent. There's no work. I'm not singing. There are no gigs. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's very limited travel. So I do have to wait to live my life because all of those things that I would do, um, to celebrate life, to move on with things, to you know, make sure that you're not letting life pass you by. You can't do it right now. What I find I'm doing is allowing myself to feel, allowing myself to grieve, allowing myself to not feel like I've got to go hang out with everybody and make everybody else happy. Because as an entertainer, that is your job, is to be there for everybody else. So you know, if if my life goes off the rails a little bit. I find I'm now not uh, thinking, oh God, I got to get life together again because I've, I've been off for all this time and yeah. you know, God bless you for being there. But there's that sense of, you know, well, now I'm back and I got to make sure that I'm, I'm getting things under control again. But okay, so now I'm, Heather Bambrick is mm. always going, mm. right? Yeah. Heather mm -hmm. uh, is the one who's going to cheer other people up. Gonna Lived have her life based on how how busy she was right. busy meant success if so, i looked at my calendar and it was jam-packed and, and i had a lot of people to deal with i was i was good you're happening so it would be a challenge knowing you as i do yeah. to say i have to stay with this i have to be with this i don't have uh Got to get here, got to get here, got to get that, got to get this. Hi, everybody. It's me. We're going to have a great night. You know, don't worry about me. I'm pushing through. And, oh, I know. I love my dad, but I'm going to sing my brains out tonight. Yeah. Um, I kind of see that as a plus. Sure. <clears throat> oh, without question, it's a plus. I mean, but and, a challenge, and to be honest, too. Oh, huge challenge. And I, also, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I can't say I struggle with depression, but I struggle with the concern that this may turn into depression. Mm. Um, because Why? there do, is do that- you see the, Do you see the, the dark lines around it, as it were, and just think yeah. that they might get, they're getting bigger, they're getting closer? I th yeah, there are definitely times, without question. I, I think probably because four hours a day, five days a week, it is my job to make sure that everybody feel else feels okay. Yeah. So doing your radio that's my focus, show. doing yeah. my radio show. So then, then all of a sudden you get off and some of the nicest comments from listeners have been, 
you know, thank you for being there for us. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for giving us some sense of normalcy through all this time. But I know this has got to be exhausting for you. How are you? Which, you know, it's like, it's really nice. It's like, oh, uh, I'm okay. It's like when the, when the telemarketer calls and asks how you are and you ask them back and they say, I'm fine, thanks for asking. You know, I feel a little bit like that. Um, well, it's like being home, right? Being, yeah. being in, in Newfoundland. Like when you ask, having been there about five times, uh, when, when you ask somebody, how are you? You should be prepared for an actual answer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're going to tell yeah, you how they just, are. Yeah. And then they're going to ask you how you are. Stomach's acting up now this morning. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I tell you, I just didn't sit well last night's dinner. Um, but there's yeah, a presentational piece that like in the morning process in, in, in Judaism, there's the, the Shiva, but then there's the first month anniversary. Yes. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. At that point you, you have a, a ritual for that. And then at the 11 month anniversary, you have another major ritual uh, and it's a letting go. And up until that 11th month uh, in observant families, you're not to go to celebrations. You're not to have celebrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're to honor the grieving, honor the mourning period. Um, you know, so yeah. I would say that that darkness uh, is going to have its place. And if it didn't, it would be because you were denying it a place. Right. Yeah. yeah. My, my sister and I had a conversation just a couple of days ago and I, and she's now living back and she moved back to Washington because we both spent a substantial amount of time in St. John's with mom. So now she's in Washington and I'm in Toronto and, and mom's still at home. And, you know, mom has, has now begun sleeping on dad's side of the bed. Right. It, it allows her to sleep better. Great. So I made the comment about, you know, I, I, I know that mom is still living there. There's the constant reminder. And Karen said, I know, but I don't want mom to look around the house and think, you know, sadness all the time. Because I, I said, you know, she's just going to have to live in it for a little while. But I think by denying yourself that, by, you know, the constant distraction, it's going to catch up. You know, the emotion of all of this, the weight of it all, the energy of it all, the, the spiritual nature of it all, the every element of it because it's heavy i mean death is not a light thing because we don't like talking about it we we you know no one ever wants to so that stuff you don't want to talk about you know uh, when 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 mom and dad used to go on vacations dad would have the you know the official chat now here's where the will is and here's where all the banking information is right, you know right. but you never want dad i don't want to talk about that but, but that's all the business of death then there's the emotion of death and the spiritual side of death. And as you say, did, did, did dad and I ever talk about, you know, where he was going to go? How did he feel about it? Was he ready? Was he prepared? Uh, did he have a sense of what, what he's looking forward to? What should we be looking for? Oh, we never talked about that. So. Did it make you think about you? Did it make you think about your own mortality and yeah. what is the purpose of all this? Yes. Yeah. For me, I think it's a little bit like the way I was in the hospital room with dad, because I, I, on a practical level, I say, look, I, you know, I've lived a pretty good life. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm still fairly young. I still think there's more to live, but I mean, you look at what I've done with my life and I'm pretty happy with it. And, you know, as a jazz singer and a broadcaster with jazz, mainly as the medium, uh, the musical medium, um, I, I own a home. 
I pay my bills. I, you know, had some awards and accolades and success and great. I'm good. And then I know when that moment comes, I'll be going, I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking more and more about that because I have a feeling that's that, that sense of I'm, I'm okay is not going to be as strong. And, you know, again, growing up Catholic, our, our thought, our, we are taught to believe that this is just temporary, that the ultimate goal is everlasting life. That was why Jesus died on the cross. That was why he, right. you know, resurrected um, because we are now rewarded with everlasting life. Well, sure. But again, that idea of very few you don't, of us you, But think you about don't that. actually believe that. I do. <clears throat> I do believe it. I just don't believe it in the way that I think we're right. taught. I, I, I believe in everlasting life. And I, like, I think I'm going to come back as something else. My soul, not, not I, but this energy, this element. I think dad is going to come back as something else, but it may not be dad. And I, my fear is he's going to come back as something else with someone else and I'm never going to see it. As weird as that sounds, like I just because I do believe that the energies continue, but they don't always continue in this realm. Uh, he may come back somewhere else, and he, he'll have some his his soul, his his purpose, his energy will have some other purpose, and that energy will live elsewhere. And and the selfish part of me is like, yeah, but I don't want it to go anywhere else. I want it to come back. I don't even care if it comes back as a slug. I'll keep the slug alive. <laughs> but you do, but you said earlier, you, you need him still. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Like you really, I remember you talking, I met your dad. He came to the station yes, once when I was working there and your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I already knew then because you had spoken about them and about home in such a loving way that I just thought, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that mm. to have the gift? You know, for a lot of people, family is fraught. It, it can be very difficult. And there's always ups and downs. And there's always mm. walk into your old parental home and feel like you're seven years old again, or you're staring into the fridge and thinking, what the hell am I doing here? But the other part of it is the love that you have. You know, when you spoke at the beginning of this orphan you know your father is an orphan yeah and that and then he creates family and love big time and that's that i my sister and i both <clears throat> pardon me please um did part of the eulogy and that's the one thing that i i constantly was amazed at is my dad had no blueprint for parenting i mean yeah. he didn't he did not look to his father who I mean, I met his dad. His, my 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 dad's mom passed when he was four, but his dad worked down in New York <clears throat> during the war. Remarried several times, did very well for himself. He married some wealthy women, and uh, <laughs> and then came back into into dad's life. And dad just thought, well, okay, you're here. I mean, dad was very forgiving, but not forgetting, not forgetful. So he uh, he he knew his dad but he also knew who his dad was and had they could, left him did they have his your grandfather yeah, and he yeah, just he, left him yeah. there <clears throat> he left him living 
yeah, he left him living with with uh, his his mother in law, with my dad's grandmother, who was a cleaning lady. They called them. He said she was a char lady. Char she was lady, a cleaning yeah. lady. Yeah, and uh, and she couldn't afford to take care of all the kids. So uh, one of his sisters lived with his aunt down in Trapassi. And so she was raised down there. So he didn't really know her that well. And then uh, the two oldest boys, dad and his brother, Frank, went to the orphanage because that wow. was what had to happen. And then, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, he remembers writing to his dad and asking for, you know, a new pair of shoes and his father sent him a pair of his old ones. And, right. you know, he, he never got a lot from his father. He didn't get so a lot of love. He didn't, he didn't know. He didn't get any love. Isn't that amazing uh, though? Because he was a loving guy, right? So, Ralph, I mean, when I remember being a kid and dad would come home from work, he worked with workers' compensation for his pretty well his whole life. And he'd come home from work at the end of the day and I'd be down on the couch as a kid and dad would come downstairs still in a suit and he'd get on his hands and knees and he'd start playing with my sister and me. Right. He was loving. He was always, I love you. Never go to bed angry. Always hugs and kisses and laughter and music and fun and family and, and forgiveness. A lot of Fs. Um, and he didn't learn that from anyone. That was just, that was within him. And that, that's, that's when you kind of step back and go, wait, he was an amazing man. Cause when you're growing up, he's just your father. It's only when you step back. And also when, when we got the, the condolences from people, so many people writing so many wonderful things. Cause I knew he was a wonderful man, but I knew him as a wonderful father. When I heard about the other parts of his personality, um, the sense of, of kindness, the sense of inclusion, uh, the sense of fun, always fun, but with responsibility. And that was what he taught me as well, which I think is probably why I'm okay in this business. I'm, he gets why I'm a performer. He understood my, my decision to pursue music, but at the same time, but still be smart with your money and be smart with your plans yeah. and provide. So, but he did that. Like he was the head of the social committee at workers' compensation and they had parties all the time. And dad <laughs> always had to make sure, you know, there was always a, a closet full of liquor if you needed a drink at the end of the day. Um, but he was, a, but at the same time, get your work done. He was like you. He's a connector. You like connecting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's maybe what, what, what I'm getting from dad now is um, connection to people the ability to maybe step back. Dad always had that ability to step back and consider what others may not be considering. You know, that idea, well, we don't know what's going on with them. We don't know what they're, what's going on in their lives. We don't know uh, what's made this decision. We don't know why, you know, people who make the most horrible decisions, who've made the most horrible decisions in his life. Well, there was a reason for it. We don't know what it is. Yeah, that forgiveness, the benefit of the doubt. In Judaism, there's a be benefit of the doubt belief in the ethical makeup of a person. So mm -hmm. when somebody, it, it can go two ways. One is, you know, somebody speeds past you in a car and you're thinking, what is your problem? Or they just received a phone call that somebody's ill, exactly. um, which also leads you to the other part of being mindful of the things and the gratefulness around you. Is, and an ambulance goes by, <clears throat> reach into it with your heart, into that ambulance mm. and think, whoever you are, God bless you. I hope you're doing all right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. You don't use the word died or dying, I've noticed. You say pass or passing. Yeah. It's less harsh to me. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. Yeah. I and th I think also because dying, you know, the plant dies, so you throw it away. Um, I think passing is that in, that idea of going on to something else. You know, passing. Yeah, but you're not going to say the plant passed. <laughs> no, exactly. Because that is, you know. Yeah, or the budgie passed. Well, maybe right? the budgie passed. Well, maybe the budgie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, dying sounds really, unless final. Unless it sounds I, final. It's it's way too final for me, and I don't think that uh, I, I, death doesn't feel final. Death feels like there's a an ending of one part, but that there's so much more going on. Do you but wake I, up? I, do you wake up thinking? Did this happen? No, God, all the time, yeah. all all the time. Uh, I look at photos of him, and I'm thinking, this is weird. This hasn't happened. This hasn't Part of it happened. is the practical side of it. I live away, so I just think I'm going to come home, and, and he'll be there. He'll be there. Um, I, it's funny when you were talking about the the idea of the, the ceremony of it, and the the um, you know the the anniversaries, the one month and the eleven months and whatnot. And there's a part of me that wonders at times would it be easier if we had had those ceremonies if we had had the you know the we didn't have a catholic funeral for dad we couldn't um so we had a celebration of life in the chapel by a priest um and maybe i think you know maybe if i had gone through that maybe if i felt more of a connection to the the practices the of, of a church maybe that would help but then i also feel no no because then it's like okay to me growing up catholic there were so many there was there were rules there were very many rules there were the, the, you know the commandments you had to follow and then there were you know even the way you broke down the rosary you had the joyful joyful mysteries the sorrowful mysteries you know um and and then you had so many prayers to go with each one and it was very organized and uh and that organization, to me, puts boundaries on, on how I process this and how I do this. So on one hand, I think, would it feel like the... What, the, the, the how does that put a boundary on you? Because my background is such that you are taught this and that. You do this or that happens. Binary, um, yeah very binary and the idea of uh okay now we do this so we've had the funeral and now there's the burial and now he's interred and now we move on well, what if i'm not ready to move on what if i actually want to go and crawl into the hole and pull him out of the ground and you know and what if i'm not ready to say goodbye and what if this a lot there's a lot of what ifs for me so the 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 idea of having step-by-step -step procedure that you follow again having a, a a spiritual um upbringing that is very binary the the what ifs don't allow me to fully examine uh the, the process for me if that makes any sense yeah i mean the the other way to look at it and i'm not advocating for it i'm just you know as a student of it all mm -hmm and a practitioner in many ways, um, having a structure, a mm. container, mm. allows us to, to hold our grief in a way 
that we can feel safe that we're not going to throw ourselves into the into the uh, into the hole after the casket that we're not going to lose our ability to be present for the fact that this has happened and that these things will ground us so that we don't so i always used to say to people i i, I don't understand how you can have a, a funeral for a loved one and then have some people come over and have a, a bite to eat and then it's done and then mm. you're on your own for the next rest of your life right so to me sometimes those i don't see i i guess i just don't see it as limiting i see it as allowing you to have some 2,000 in some cases, 5,000, you know, year old. You know what? When something happens like this, you should probably do this in this order. Mm. Because mm -hmm. after thousands of years, we figure it out. So, for instance, for some, for observance, uh, for some people, family members in some traditions don't do eulogies. Why? Mm. Because when they get up to speak and you see their heart being torn apart as they're talking, and if they get lucky, they'll get through the eulogy without the water being so deep in their eyes, they can't see the script anymore. Mm. The person in the, who is listening to it is suffering mm. the, because they're suffering for you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like if a performer cries on stage, they're no longer taking care of me. I have to now take care of them. Or are they serving what the it conduit is that presenting. For that. Are they, absolutely. Perhaps, but on the other hand, I do find it interesting that if someone who is the clergy, in this case, mm. gives the eulogy. Now, this was all predicated on actually knowing the person. Mm -hmm. And what's happened to so many people who live such secular lives is that the clergy don't really know them. So people yeah. go and think, well, why are you talking about them? but it was supposed to be part of a lifelong relationship that you had with the clergy. Right. So we've kind of lost the transmission there, but mm. the idea that your suffering can bring more suffering to other people uh, in that moment, I always understood that to be, even though I, a, a week later we had a service from my father at the synagogue where we could speak. Mm. It was a, because there was the, the other idea of death in, and love is distance that you mm -hmm. th there needs to be some for, for you to even stop waking up thinking he's not actually gone is he mm -hmm. and then you move mm -hmm. to the next part where okay he's actually gone this is not fun i'm not happy here but mm -hmm. i'm not going to try to pretend to everybody by going to parties all the time that it never happened right you know now do i want you to walk around in a black dress for the rest of your life no <laughs> Although it is very slimming, so it's okay that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you I know, know, so like you know, there were so many different rituals of death that there. I, I think they're all worth exploring because they have sure. nuggets of wisdom in them. In a way, hearing you talk about about, and and I know that you know because you've referenced so many different. Yes, you you grew grew up, uh, you know, in in the world of Judaism, but you've looked at so many other religions and religious practices and 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 practices of, of spirituality that the, the map you use is huge. Yeah. Um, it almost feels in a sense when I hear you talk about it, like a type of parenting, because when, when you are raised, you were given structure and some rules and regulations to follow, but then you kind of let off on your own. 
you have that basic foundation, um, but the understanding what, is you hopefully use it to guide you, know, you. What did you call the, the guy in the black robe in the hallway? Father. Yeah, exactly. exactly. What do you say when you're cursing? Oh, Mother Mary of God. Right? Know? Oh, yeah. Right? So we, yeah. We, we do have many manifestations of, of what is unknowable, which is, you know, the sort of word that's left as a book uh, placeholder is God. Mm -hmm. because there's no such thing as knowing that. But they did say in palliative care that Christians do better than Jews often because they can talk to people. They can talk to Jesus. Mm. They can talk to Mary. Mm -hmm. They can talk to a saint that they've, you know, attached to over the years. And Jews, God is unknowable. There's no one to talk to, right? And yet we do talk. We do, yeah. it, it, there's a tradition in Judaism called Hid Bodidut, which is having a conversation with God. It doesn't mean you're having a conversation with a, a guy with a beard in a chair with a naughty and nice list. That's Santa Claus. If you, <laughs> you want to have a conversation with Santa Claus, go ahead and knock yourself out, ho hoping it's not the one who um, um, Elf figures out. <laughs> You live in the throne, of, you sit on a throne of lies. Um, but no, there's this idea that, that there are, in a, in a certain sense, we need our humility now. We need to be able to know that there are things that we don't understand that are greater than us, and that the passing of, of someone is not life, it is a lifespan. It is, it is a person's lifespan, but it is not life itself. That the life got, went on before. What's your father's first name? John. So it went on before John became yeah. John. It will go mm -hmm. on after John has been John. And that energy that he sent and gave and instilled in you of love, of generosity, of spirit, of passion, mm -hmm. and of structure, and of diligence, all those things are now John and, and Heather. Yeah. So there is no, no end. There's no end to that life. There's just no. the transference of those beautiful energies. Yeah. And a very obvious transference to me as a daughter, but you know, I mean, I don't have kids. So I look to the people that are in his world. Um, the people who still tell the stories of, of him, the people who still have that, that influence that he's had on them and he will continue to live on that way. So that is, you know, that that provides some some sense of comfort as well. Yeah, they're all seeds. So, I mean, when you're singing a question. song and you're totally connected to that song up there, mm -hmm. the seed of of his love is inside you, and you're sending that seed out to people. You know, Absolutely. your mother, your father, your you know. I hear Newfoundland in your heart all the time. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering if you were going to come back. I thought, you know what? She might just go, you know what the hell? I might yeah. go over to Memorial and see if they need a good prof. Honest <laughs> to God. They're starting a jazz studies program. You know, oh, know. no. I know, right? It's, you know, it's funny. It's funny. I kind of, I don't know. I was going to ask you about this because I know you speak very lovingly about Morocco. and We've talked about yeah. it, you know, a little bit in the past. And, and yet you've been living here in Canada, different areas, different places in Canada for a while. Do you ever get a sense of being in sort of a, a no man's land? Because life has gone on in Morocco 
um, you know, and it's, it's gone in different ways that you've not been there to witness. Uh, and then at the same time, you, the, well, this is the way I feel about Newfoundland. Newfoundland has continued. It's, it's, I go home now and I look around and I'm kind of going, wait, wait, not everybody knows me anymore. What happened? <laughs> uh, and, and like, when did that go up? What happened here? What do you mean there's a roundabout there now? Um, and yet I didn't grow up in Toronto. So I've been here for almost 30 years, but I don't remember the days of people. Remember when, you know, George's spaghetti has well, before I was here. Oh, remember when so-and-so was in power? No, sorry, that's before I got. So there's, I feel like I'm in almost like a, you know, a, a geographical limbo. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of where well, I call home sometimes. But like me and like many people, you are a diasporic person. Absolutely. Right. The, yeah. The Newfoundland diaspora. Like the movie Going Down the Road, mm -hmm. two guys from Newfoundland who think, oh, you know, I'm going to get to Toronto. It's going to be great. It's going to be, end up stealing bologna in a supermarket <laughs> and being so pathetically lost because yeah. this is not home in any mm. way. Mm. And it's not paved with gold. But mm. as, as in my case, mm -hmm. being diasporic, I remember I was doing a documentary series in Israel. And I was interviewing uh, an American who was a, a settler uh, and he uh, had a radio show, kind of out of a basement radio show at the time before podcasts were a thing. Mm. And he was insisting that to be truly a good Jew, you had to move back to Israel. Mm. And, uh, and those who don't are not fulfilling their obligation. Um, and I said, you know, I, I, I didn't know he was going to say that. And I said, well, I respect what you're doing. Uh, and there's a part of me that would feel good in doing it. But mm. being a diasporic person makes you a person of the world. And Jews have learned more from other cultures all over the world by being in a diasporic reality, exile, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the genius of it all is that I am now a Canadian uh, for 500 years. My people were Moroccans and before that they were Spaniards. And before that, my mother's people were Italians and my father's people were Azerbaijanis. And, you know, what does it really matter? Right. Mm -hmm. How much do I want to attack? It's like what I began this conversation with, which is the idea of I, mm -hmm. I am Moroccan. I am a Newfoundlander. I, I am alive. You know, uh, I am. Just I am, and the rest is the assignations we give ourselves mm -hmm. to convince ourselves that this crazy dance we're doing, this absolutely nutty thing we're involved with, and I'm not talking about showbiz. I'm just no. talking about life. Life, yeah. It is yeah. just, you know well worth paying attention to and being grateful for. You know, I mean, for me, the idea of your mother moving over to your father's side of the bed. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. I would do mm -hmm. that. I don't even yeah. like that side of the bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I, right? Right? I'd feel weird, yeah. but I would do that because you're still in love you're still in, in a loving relationship and you always will be. I will always love being Canadian. I will always love being Jewish. Do I open myself to the whole world? Yes. 
I'm I'm supposedly a Toronto guy because I was here since I was a little boy and most mm -hmm. of my life. Mm -hmm. I lived in Winnipeg. I lived in Edmonton. I I I've seen almost every part of this country. Mm -hmm. But but these are just things, mm -hmm. you know. I'm sure in in the weeks that you were with your father that. It, you know, you can go two ways. You can pe Peggy Lee it. Is that all there is? Yep. Or yep. you can go look at all there is. And I'm at the point now where I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know which direction I'm going to go in. I think in honor of my dad, I think I have to go in the, the second, the latter category, right. which is look at all there is, because that was very much who he, who he was. Um, you know, I mean, he, he was, <laughs> there's a wonderful story about, uh, and I just recently heard it. Um, my dad worked with this guy whose wife, uh, he, he's passed, he passed away. His wife called very recently when she heard, and she said, you know, your dad was always very special. And I said, oh, I know. And she said, I'll never forget when he and Jerry, her, her husband, when he and Jerry first started working together. And again, at the time, you know, a lot of parties, a lot of social activity going on at workers' compensation. The work got done. <laughs> uh, but they came home after a party one time and she's, we had two young kids. They had six all together, but at the time they only had two. And she said, and your father was probably in his thirties. And he came home. He said, Lynn, are the kids in bed? And she said, yeah. He said, do you mind if I go in and look at them? She said, and for a gentleman at 30 years of age, a single guy, you know, he was dating your mother or whatever, um, to, to ask that. She said, it was a weird question, but I yeah. thought, okay, because I knew him, I trusted him. And he went in and he was in there for maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. And he came out and his eyes were full of tears. And he said, how beautiful is that? That those kids can sleep so peacefully and so soundly knowing they have a loving home and loving parents. Mm. What must that be like? Mm. First time I ever heard that, because dad always looked at the positive, even then. He didn't know what that was like. He had no clue what it was like to have someone kiss him goodnight every night. Or as we did, tell him he, he loved them or they loved him. But rather than say, damn it, I didn't have that. He yeah. went with joy. Wow. Look at how beautiful they are. Look at how peaceful they are. They know. Even when they don't know, even as infants, they know. What must that be like? That's beautiful to see. And that's who my dad was. So that's why I feel like, you know, as, as dark as I can get sometimes, I think when I come out of the other end of this, which I never will, because you never do really come out of the end, you come out of the end of the first stage. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm going to go more towards the direction of, look at, look at all there is, as opposed to, as you say, the Peggy Lee of it all. Yeah. Uh, because that's who he was. And I think to honor him, I, I need, and that's how he will live on. Is, is by me being able to honor him and, and look at the moments, even, even the darkness, as you say, as the ambulance goes by, which, which you know, in Newfoundland, we, 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 you know, when you pass the graveyard, you bless yourself and hopefully you think of the people that are there, the souls that are there, the lives that are lived there. Uh, the ambulance goes by and you either go there, but for the grace of God, or you, you know, you think about the person and I hope they're gonna be okay. And, and there's that idea of hope and of positivity. And, and when my dad looked at those sleeping kids, it was that idea of positivity, even in his own negative experience. So I think yeah. in the end of it, that's, that's the direction that I'm going to, 
I feel myself, I will, I feel with dad's guidance, I will go there. And, and who knows? I mean, knows? I may become a bitter, twisted old woman after all of this. Don't think so. Don't think so. Knowing I don't think so. Well, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I think he yeah. gave you some gifts. For sure. Gave For you sure. Which, yeah, without question, he did. Thank I want to give you. A, I want to give you a blessing. Thank you. I, I bless you. I bless your mother, your sister, all the people who loved your father. I bless the energy that is life that brought him here and sends him off. And I wish for you only the sweetest of fruit from this event, tinged always with sadness and tears. Because as we said, the price of love is grief. And the more grief, the more love, and the more honor. So God bless you. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for all. And, and also, you know, the, the notes that you sent behind the scenes, which meant a lot. Um, you, we, we know um, Kate Shutt, who was a wonderful singer songwriter and she lost her mom to cancer a little while ago. And, and, uh, and she said, you know, talking about, you did a Ted talk about not knowing what to say. And sometimes just having someone say, I'm thinking about you, I'm sending you love. It, it sucks. <laughs> However you want to say it. Sometimes just hearing it. And when I got those notes from you, that's what I got. And, and that blessing just then was beautiful. So thank you for all of that. You take care of yourself, Madam Bambrick. Thank you, thank you, Sir Ben Murgy. And uh, self care, self love, self care, self love. Amen to all of that. All and right. uh, thank you for this. And and I'll I'll be listening. Thank you. All right, you take care. You too, Ralph. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Heather Bambrick, uh, Heather, jazz singer, Juno winner, um, just a lovely human being. Does the morning show nine till one in the afternoon, I guess the morning afternoon show at Jazz FM 91 uh, and uh, is a dear friend. I'm happy she spent that time with me and uh, I'll be thinking about her, her father, Jim, uh, as a, uh, father, John, pardon me, as, as, as time goes on. Um, I had an idea. I'll go to my Facebook page. I'm always telling people to go to my Gmail and course none of you do so i decided maybe that's not working so let's go to the facebook so i do have a facebook page called not that kind of rabbi i put up a post today actually uh and uh check it out please if you can and uh let me know what you think and who you'd like to hear me talk to and in the meantime uh, i want you to have a, a good and healthy uh, day and uh, ride your bicycle mr mike says ride your bike that's our, our new slogan for the end of the show. And uh, if you can't ride your bike, then take a good walk. That's what always works for me. I'm Ralph Ben Murgy. This is not that kind of rabbi. You take care of each other. We'll see you soon. Bye.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.